Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. Welcome to another episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm coming to you exhausted from the uh, kitchen table. Yeah, got the laptop spread out, crap all over the table. Couldn't sit down to eat anything if you wanted to. It's a mess just the way it's supposed to be. Hey, anyway, today is Saturday the 14th. Did everybody have a good time on Friday the 13th? Did anyone watch any Friday the 13th movies? I wanted to, but I never got around to doing it, um, mostly because I've seen every one of them about 800 times. Uh, and for whatever reason, I just, when I sat down to do it, I'm like, yeah, no, it's not in the mood. I'm not going to do it. Hey, anyway, I thought I would come back and do another book reading today. <laughs> Bear with me a minute, though, because I'm going to get into some really fun stuff. By the way, people still following this Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial? Uh, is it just me, or does she look like the wickedest woman on the planet by this point? Now, I wonder, like, I didn't know Johnny Depp had some horrible upbringing, right? But I found that out this week, and because I was like, why is this guy putting up this crap? You know, who, who sits around and eats shit for years like this? You know, he he probably had a, he could afford a good divorce lawyer. I mean, even if you lost half your stuff, it's not worth putting up with that shit. Um... And then I realized, hey, didn't Elon Musk date her? So, really, how smart is that cat? <laughs> now I'm beginning to wonder. Um, I'm glad he's taking over Twitter if he actually goes through with it. Hey, here's some interesting, fun trivia. Did you ever hear the story that made George Washington out to be a war criminal? No, no kidding. See, that's the thing I love about history. And those of you who follow me on here know that I'm a obsessed with history. I'm a history buff. But George Washington, you'll never read this in your history books. You won't learn this in school. <laughs> but um, this has got to be one of the dumbest, not the dumbest, but a pretty big fail in American history, right? Um, but anyone can be a victim of a big fail when you think about it. So George Washington, America's first president, the father of the country. You see, even this guy wasn't perfect. Uh, long before he was president or even general of the Continental Army uh, during the American Revolution, he had a major event that impacted him that literally made him a war criminal. <clears throat> um, anyway, a little background on GW. He grew up on a plantation in Virginia. Um, it was still under British control at the time. It was still a British colony. 
And I guess he was living an easy life by those, well, by not just that era, but any era. Let's face it, this, he was living the dream. When he was 31, uh, he joined the Virginia Colonial Militia. And eventually, through hard work, perseverance, he got promoted to second in command. Well, they were sent on, uh, well, to, to the territory, which is now Pennsylvania. They were sent up there, him and, him and his men, <laughs> literally to keep an eye on the French. Can you believe this? Um, and uh, in that area, he was also supposed to make alliances with some of the local Indian tribes. Well, in April of 1754, this was, you know, obviously before the Revolution, uh, he and about 300 of the men under his command uh, met with uh, the Mingo Indian chief. And I'm going to butcher this name. Tanakarisan? Tanakarisan? Well, first part of the mission went okay. But Tanakarisan and some of his braves, <clears throat> they agreed uh, to travel. Uh, with the British, but they just thought they were still supposed to travel. It wasn't really clear what they were supposed to be doing next. See, the, the British and the French at that time were not at war yet, and the so any little thing really could set off either side because there was a lot of tension between the British and the French, and uh, George Washington was really inexperienced at that time, and he was just marching along with a bunch of inexperienced dudes and just really much farm boys from Virginia. And through that time, that was what was called the Northwest Territory. So really, <coughs> anything had happened up there. So anyway, he learned through the uh, Indian allies that a French force was led by this guy by the name of Joseph de Jumonville. And it was, and of course, the Indians told him he was camped nearby. And uh, so George Washington's like, well, either this is a big problem or it's a big opportunity. He couldn't decide which. So, what happened next has been debated by historians for over 200 years. But anyway, whatever happened demonstrated a complete lack of leadership on George Washington's part. Thankfully, I'm sure he learned his lesson from this incident uh, that I'm about to tell you about because he was certainly an amazing leader when it came to our nation. So here's one of the scenarios uh, is that, that he um, was given bad intelligence by the Indian allies who hated the French. And he was told that these French forces were bigger and that they were planning on attacking the British. Well, the Virginians and their allies, they decided, hey, we're not going to wait around for this. They did a preemptive attack on the French, killed all the French, including those who attempted to surrender. That's pretty harsh, don't you think? Um, but the second scenario that people say possibly could have happened is that there was a, just a you know, little skirmish between the Virginians and the French, and the French eventually surrendered. Uh De Jumonville was treated, I guess, pretty well by Washington, I guess, for whatever the rules of war were. But for some reason, uh, the Indian, <laughs> uh, Tanakarisan, killed him anyway with a tomahawk. Uh, 
And then when, when he did that, it sparked all the Braves to kill the rest of the prisoners. Either way, whatever happened, either way, um, George Washington knew there was going to be a hell to pay for this battle, so-called battle. And he ordered his men to quickly build a fort on the spot. And can you believe what the name of this fort was? Fort Necessity. Yep. But Tanakarisan and his Indians weren't going to have any of it. They left. And, of course, Washington, his men, they held out for a while. Um, but they surrendered on July 3rd. So the French briefly held them before they let them all go to go back to their homes. But before Washington was allowed to leave, he had to sign this form that said, you know, he admitted assassinating Jumanville. In other words, he had to admit to being a war criminal. And he signed it. Um, but anyway, the fiasco, this, this was felt immediately around the world. Uh, the British press were having a field day with George Washington. They just like, painted him up to be some dumbass country bumpkin, uncivilized, no concept of how to fight or fight war. And uh, the French were pissed. They were, they were mostly pissed because the, the French back in France are mostly pissed because the French here let him walk away. Uh, he would just walked away unpunished, right? So uh, they they called that in France the Jumanville affair. Well, anyway, his Washington's failed quest up into the Northwest Territory uh, was thought to be the final nail in the coffin that actually started the French and Indian War that lasted from fifteen or 1754 to 1763, which was. You know, when you look at the French and Indian War, it was really just the North American version of the worldwide Seven Years' War, which lasted from 1756 to 1763. So, anyway, I'm sure, like, George Washington historians would kind of like to have had that forgotten. Um, but, you know, for the most part, George Washington turned out to be a pretty damn good success, I would think. First president of the country, father of the nation, and became the general who whipped ass during the American Revolution. So, how's that for an interesting, interesting story? Is that new news to you? Because that was kind of new news to me when I learned that. So, what an what an epic fail on the uh, in American history. But it's a fun story. Very fun story. So that's why I love history so much. Um, I want to see what we're almost like twelve minutes into this. So I'm going to read a little bit of this one short story. <clears throat> this is from Bedtime Stories for the Terminally Afraid. Uh, I was actually up at Big Walker Lookout in With County today. I had a book signing up there. Very anemic crowd. Good music though. Uh, Jim Cantrell showed up and he played. That is a stop. That's what's called Along the Crooked Road. Uh, so um, musicians play every weekend at places that are those chosen venues. So uh, every Saturday and Sunday <clears throat> from 2 to 4, there's live music there. So um, it was a, you know, it rained, so it was kind of a crappy day. I guess there's a lot of graduations going on and other little things going on in small towns. So kind of anemic, but I was glad to get uh, a few books off the table, so uh, there's still some on the shelves at Big Walker, uh, Big Walker Lookout. So if you're in the area, swing by and 
You'll find a few of my books on there, uh, Revelation Calling. And then this one I'm about to read from, Bedtime Stories for the Terminally Afraid. <clears throat> and let me, let me grab a drink real quick. Here we go. Oh, God, that hit the spot. This is a short story called Run for Your Life, Fat Boy. I started thinking about how this the story years ago when I lived in Cincinnati. And I thought, hey, what if uh, what if I were caught in the zombie apocalypse? Uh, the zombie apocalypse. Uh, trying to think of that movie with Woody Harrelson. It's a popular movie and it escapes my mind. But anyway, um, I have no cardio. Shitty cardio. So what would I do? This is what I would do. Winston Adams slipped inside a small closet in an abandoned garage with little hope that the drooling idiot that had been chasing him for three days would not eventually catch him. With a shaking hand, Winston reached inside of his jacket pocket and pulled out a much-needed cigarette to calm his nerves and steady his heavy breathing. He was sucking in air so hard that he knew it could wake the dead, literally. Winston was named after his mom's favorite brand of smokes. He picked up the habit at the age of 12, but chose Marlboros instead just to piss her off. And that attitude set the tone for his life. His folks wanted him to go to college, so he decided against it. His father wanted an athlete, and his mother wanted a lawyer. He was glad to disappoint both. And at the age of 25, he had managed to finally land that dream job of call center lackey. That helped him avoid any real exercise while he enjoyed pizza delivery twice a week and video games every night. Two weeks ago, Winston woke up to a crazy world, one that only Hollywood could imagine. He was surprised that he lasted this long, actually. Most of his friends are already dead. Hell, they could just they could all be dead by now for what he knew. He hadn't had a chance to charge his cell phone for the last three days. Uh, to at least call and check on anyone from the office or any of his neighbors. Winston woke up in the middle of hell and realized that his fat ass wouldn't make it another three days unless he found somewhere to rest and lose the extra pounds that made his ass look like 50 pounds of chewed bubblegum. A month ago, he and his friend Ray, a co-worker that he shared a cubicle with, sat laughing in the wrong corner of the tall glass office building. When they read that the federal... Governments, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, had actually published a zombie apocalypse survival guide. Winston was a fan of all things horror, which included the countless number of zombie movies that he owned. He could say that he had watched every zombie film ever made, probably at least, probably most at least a half dozen times, and be somewhere near accurate with that statement. From Night of the Living Dead to Zombieland, that's that movie those that were made for serious social commentary, and those that were meant to make you laugh. Winston loved them all. Now he had to wonder if the government knew something and didn't bother to adequately warn the public, or in fact some twist of the, in the evolution of humanity was finally giving man, mankind his comeuppance for all of his so-called wisdom and arrogance. But he woke up two weeks ago to the day and found a different world than the one he fell asleep in the night before. Although everything had happened so fast, he remembered with amazing clarity how several of his friends had already been killed or died from their own stupidity in this brave new world of theirs. Good cardio may have kept you alive in the movies, 
but Winston knew that his fat ass wasn't running from danger without eventually dropping dead. It was going to have to be in his wits that helped him survive. He didn't have a gun, didn't know how to shoot one properly, even if he did. Besides, the slightest noise would attract too much attention to him, and since he had no burst of real quickness besides working a buffet line, he had to try to be as quiet as possible. It was his wits, his patience, and a machete that he found in some redneck's backyard that kept him alive this long. Two weeks ago, he picked Ray up for work. They worked the same shift and carpooled to save gas. The drive to work was certainly eye-opening when Winston pulled alongside a car that had swerved off the highway and came to rest against the guardrail. He slowed down just enough to look inside the window and see the passenger of the car ripping out the throat of the driver. His head was pushed back and his neck obviously broken. Winston stared into the dead eyes of the driver as veins and arteries dangled from the mouth of the living dead person next to him. It, for a lack of a better of being able to call it human, looked at Winston and Ray and smiled and waved at them, almost as if in a childlike manner. Winston drove on, feeling like throwing up, but weaving through the carnage on the highway until they got past the wreckage. We didn't really just drive through a scene of Dawn of, Dawn of the Dead, did we? Ray shouted as he forced back dry, dry heaves. I think so, Winston managed to stutter. We need to get off the highway. We need to find some side roads that wouldn't have as much traffic or as many people if we, uh, to have to deal with. Living people I'm not worried about, Ray said. It's the dead ones that want to eat me that I have a problem with. Winston was anxious to check out his folks, or check on his folks to make sure they were all right, even though their purpose in his life, since he became a TJ, teenager, was to bust his balls for not living up to their standards. But the first stop had to be their office building. It was a risk, but Ray left his diabetes medication and tester locked in his desk, and it was vital he get that. Ray worked on the third floor and offered to go in alone, even though he didn't want to, but he knew it wasn't fair to ask Winston to risk his life any more than he would be when he drove him back to the apartment. They slowly drifted into the parking lot, keeping all senses alert to any movement that seemed unusual. They didn't want to take any chances. At the slightest hint of a zombie, they were going to make a quick escape. They both looked at the double glass door entrance to the building and noticed the streaks of blood. They began to notice blood everywhere, actually, wondering how they could have mistaken the giant wet splotches on the pavement for oil stains and broke a glass from the end of the hallways and offices on every floor. Ray tapped him on the chest and pointed at a severed arm hanging from the dogwood tree by the conference room window on the first floor. It looked like a war had happened before they even arrived for work. Okay. Keep the car running, Ray said nervously. I'll be as quick as I can, but get ready to move if you see me running out. Or better yet, drive toward me if you see me coming. I'm not a fast runner, he said jokingly as he looked down at his sizable gut a monumental achievement earned from years of McDonald's and Taco Bell. Winston remained parked near the end of the parking lot to keep everything in front of him. He didn't want to be caught off guard by a zombie popping up from a meal between two cars and hell-bent on making him an after-breakfast snack. He watched as Ray crept low, trying to keep close to the ground. Although a dangerous situation, Winston thought it looked more like a comedy movie than that he was watching. Ray was trying to creep along as low as he could, 
but a man of his size, he looked more like a fat man trying to intimidate a duck waddling through the parking lot. Winston nearly lost it when he saw Ray had split the back of his pants all the way down to the crack of his ass just as he got to the front door. Winston stood by the car for about ten minutes when he heard Ray shriek like a, shriek like a scream queen through the busted-out window at the end of the hall on the third floor. Ray had inadvertently got the attention of one of the wounded walking dead when he cursed at the snack machine for taking his change and not giving his chocolate bar. Ray came running down the hall toward the window after the zombie cut him off from the elevator. His big gut bounced like a beach ball and he lost his balance due to being so top-heavy. Winston, from the far end of the parking lot, saw the entire final scene of his good friend. Ray stopped at the end of the hall. There was nowhere else to go except to face the zombie without a weapon. Winston looked on as the dead man lumbered toward his friend, clumsily running like a child that first discovered it had enough muscles in its legs to get away from Mommy and Daddy. Ray leaned out the window through the jaded shards of tinted glass. It was no wonder he fell to his death when the zombie gently shoved him. What struck Winston as odd, and his first realization that these zombies were not like anything from the movies, was when it said, Tag, you're it, with a slurred, childlike glee. He didn't know the name of the man, now a zombie, that tagged Ray into the game it was playing, but he had spoken to him a few times as they passed each other in the break room. He never recalled the man sounding like a retarded person when he spoke. He certainly did now. Winston didn't take time to feel sorry for his friend, even when he heard his neck snap when he smashed his head on the concrete below. Instead, he wondered how long it would take for Ray to get up and fumble around like other zombies that resembled a group of retarded adults all fumbling around for blood and guts. He jumped back into his car and sped through the parking lot, turning left near the entrance to take the back way out from the multiple office complex. He urgently needed to check on his parents. Just as he passed Ray's twitching body, he saw his supervisor running toward him. At first, he thought his boss was hiding between two cars for safety, but at second glance, his eyes were glazed over and his skin was already decaying. He was one of them. With a smile on his face, Winston pressed the gas and took the jerk of a boss right out at the knees. All right, I'm not going to read the rest of this short story, but um, it's probably about five, six more pages. Anyway, one of the weirdest, it turns out to be one of the weirdest zombie stories you'll ever read. Also in that book, uh, there's a story called That Night at the ER. The ER, as in emergency room. And, uh... The short, the crux, you know, just kind of give you a little idea of what that short story is. If you are a fan of horror and you know serial killers, you guys know who Starkweather was. If you don't, just do a Google on Starkweather. Imagine Starkweather killing from the grave. Somebody actually killing from the grave to try to beat Starkweather's number. Crazy thing is, I wrote that story, and then about six months after the book came out, I watched this movie with Michael J. Fox, and one of the killers in there was trying to break Starkweather's number. I'm like, son of a bitch. Huh. Anyway. It is still an interesting story. It was a really great story. It had nothing to, I mean, it wasn't even similar to the movie, but I thought, well, what a coincidence. Anyway, Bedtime Stories for the Terminally Afraid. You can find that on Amazon.com. It is only $2.99 on Kindle. I kept that one priced like dirt cheap. Uh, so if anybody's looking to an introduction into the into my work, 
and they like horror, uh, you can certainly pick this up. Um, and I think it's still like twelve ninety five in paperback. So uh, yeah, certainly look it up, Cyrus Alderwood on Amazon.com. And uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy these stories. My goal is, and I think I talked about it before, I'd really love to sell about a thousand books this year. That doesn't sound like much. I saw this funny meme on Facebook. It says, when you have 4,000 friends and only 10 people buy your book, and it's got this guy making this face or whatever. Um, yeah, sometimes that's how it feels when you're an independent writer. But these books are um, very entertaining. They're very low-priced. So, like, I don't send you, like, 10 pages for $10. So um, when I do book signings, I, I tend to sell them for 10 Unfortunately, because I'm only getting a cut of it on Amazon or wherever else it's sold, uh, they're $12.99 in paperback. So um, please, I appreciate it. If you go out and you buy a book, make sure you jump over to Amazon.com and uh, leave me a comment and a ranking on the book. Those really, really help. Anyway, folks, I will be back with another podcast soon. I'm going to be doing some book spoilers, actually, and some movie spoilers on Netflix. Uh, that'll be later on this week. Cherie will be back. So looking forward to that episode. And until next time, folks, cheers, and I will see you on down the road.